and welcome to episode 64 of the Talking Toro podcast. I am here as ever with my co-host Peter Bourne uh, and Toro have won again, Peter. It's sort of getting a bit of a familiar feeling this, uh, jumping onto a podcast after Toro have won at home. Three in a row. Yeah, I meant to I meant to research when when's the last time we've done four. Maybe you've got the answer. Four in a row at home. But uh yeah, three clean sheets in a row. Uh and then we've got a very winnable game two days before Christmas. What could go wrong, Rob, on Saturday? Well, this this is probably uh Toro's best opportunity to mess stuff up in when it feels like it's uh too good to be true. That's usually where, where Toro uh come and stuck. But yeah, I felt that Empoli would maybe the bigger of the the two banana skins, um, they obviously, I mean, they weren't they weren't great, and and they've struggled for for the majority of this season. Udinese also form wise potentially um, not not particularly impressive either, but um, maybe got a little bit more quality and maybe be a bit more ambitious in, in what they try and set out to do. But I felt I thought I thought we were very good actually up until up into the goal. I thought we looked very dangerous. Obviously, Sanabria is unbelievable disallowed goal. Um, but yeah, as soon as the goal went in, I think we maybe took the foot off the gas and, and we're probably lucky that, that especially the first disallowed goal didn't stand. The second one, again, looked a lot, uh, looked like he was clearly offside, but the replay showed it was actually quite narrow. So yeah, I, I felt like it, had Empley scored maybe in the first half, we'd have found another gear to get to, but it was just the later and later it was getting, you sort of felt that an equaliser could have been decisive. It was it was a dreadful game. It was I think Empoli, uh, that Empoli team would not threaten the promotion places in Serie B. I, I think it's a league of pro level team that came to uh, Torino on Saturday evening. No Caputo and no um, uh, Kovalenko, probably the two of their more dangerous forwards. Yet you're right. The first twenty twenty five minutes, you thought it was a little bit more of an Atalanta game, but we kind of grew into it. Had all of the possession. He gets to that point where the commentators starting to reflect on a lot of possession, not much cutting edge, not creating a lot of chances. Then Zapata scores a very well worked goal, first assist I think for Raúl Belanova, um, who celebrated the assist by getting himself suspended for the Udinese match. Um, but after that, it was I thought it was a diabolical match. I thought it was just really flat. Um, I don't know why Torino. I did think it was going to finish one one, despite. Empoli being so bad, I mean, we conceded a very bad goal on a corner, third division level goal, which I think I've read somewhere it's like the tightest uh, offside decision ever given by VAR in Italy, they were saying, one of the tightest. Um, the second one, I think, was a little bit more clear cut, but yeah, we got lucky in. and I don't know what I thought at halftime, that like, that would be enough to shake things up, your ritual. Um, there'll be the warnings that, that uh, we got away with and then I just didn't really understand. I thought the first two substitutions, Gigi and um, Lazzaro, made sense. Uh, but after that, I don't really know why Snabri and Vlasic stayed on the pitch so long. I think the game was crying out for Richie to come on and, and get hold of the game a little bit and keep possession a little bit better. And, you know, I'm I'm the sole member of the Jan Caramo fan club, but... Why he didn't come on, why um, Radonjic, who's back in the squad, didn't get 15 minutes just to kind of yeah carry a bit more threat. Um, we just look, we look very, very tight. I didn't think anyone played particularly well apart from apart from Vanya. Yeah, well, um, I th- that, that, 
that was the next conversation I was going to get to after after three clean sheets in a row and and one very very good uh, intervention with the with the one on one where you sort of felt that it it had penalty written all over it but he comes over it and makes the uh, makes it into well the save I suppose is what you describe it as um, do we have to consider the possibility that Vanya Milinkovic Savic is actually quite good? Is he getting a trophy? <laughs> he getting the trophy at the end of the season? I mean, I think you're going to start. But seeing as we've not managed to deliver a, a trophy to a player yet, we're getting two cameras. I, I could definitely see you wanting to give it an award to a player you'd like to meet, and I'm not sure how high up Vanya is on 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 your <laughs> list. Although he did look very, uh, he did look very uh, kind of um, uh, like um, Princeton or Harvard uh, <laughs> <laughs> professor at the Torino Christmas party with his uh, three piece suit and uh, trendy spectacles, but. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think, I mean, Vanya, I don't know if it was quite a kick up the backside a few weeks ago. I don't really think he warranted being dropped on form, but yeah, he's he's kind of come back looking a little bit sharper, hasn't he? Yeah, and I, I do wonder, I think the, um, I, I only saw this um, before the game, but I'm, I'm not sure if obviously how, how well he played, but I think Chelsea might have started with a Serbian goalkeeper in, in their win uh, at the weekend, so I don't know whether that's going to have any effect for it, but obviously uh, Serbia qualified for the Euros. Another Serbian goalkeeper doing well at, uh, well, another mid-table team in Europe. Uh, I wonder whether that's maybe a little bit more motivation in in potentially thinking that his, his international place might be at stake. And um, yeah, it just, it just seems a lot more reliable is probably the, the best way to describe it. I don't, you used to always have a little bit of a, a concern with with Vanu in moments like like that one on one, but he actually dealt with it quite well. Is is I think he's we've discussed before that maybe he's he's played with his feet maybe a little bit overrated, but still better than the most goalkeepers keepers. But I actually think his claiming from crosses is is probably his best attribute. He's very very he always comes, he always demands the Did ball. You watch the Did you watch the Derby this season, mate? Other than other than that <laughs> other than that game. Um but I think that I think that is um one of his main attributes, yeah, might not always go right. But I mean, I suppose for a defence, if you know your goalkeeper's always coming, then that's potentially better than somebody who comes sort of 50% of the time and you don't know when that's going to be. But um, yeah, I don't think he's going to be winning the sort of Lev Yashin Award anytime soon. But he's definitely a, um, from where he was, it's probably one of Yurich's uh, gambles that's potentially paid off. Um, I don't really fully understand the reasons for um them them backing Vanya so much. Um I think a lot of a lot of the teams would have given up on him, whether it was just basically a cost thing that they didn't want to have to spend spend the money for a new goalkeeper. Uh but yeah, I'm starting to I'm starting to become converted to the uh the Vanya fan club. You're a believer. Yeah, he's I think he's on the cusp of making a hundred Serie A appearances for Torino and there's actually quite a group in this team who've uh either passed that milestone recently or will do I think Linetti has either gone over it was close uh Rodriguez and then Voivoda that was his 101st and I don't want this to sound mean but I can't think of too many players who've played 100 Serie A matches forget 100 matches with a lot of them in Serie B for other players but um we've certainly had a lot worse players in Serie A but someone who's played 100 games Torino to be as technically limited. I mean, it it really showed on Saturday evening as well, the kind of misplaced passes, like, like never getting out now outside. Um, 
yeah, just making wrong decision after wrong decision. And I'm, I'm trying to think of players who've played a hundred plus games who, yeah. Sometimes watch um, Voivodo and I think that he's um, almost been watching a tape of uh, Christian Saudi, but the tape that he's been given was a VHS and he's trying to play it on a DVD player. And like, he sort of knows what he's trying to do, but he can't do it. So we're trying to, so Ansari's um, like, his, what he was unbelievable at was on that left wing back position, sort of fake to go out on the left and then go in on the right and then fake again to go out on the left because he was, but was equally good with either foot. Well, Voivoda tries to do that, but then doesn't really trust his left foot. So then cuts back on the right. And then every defender knows that he's going to cut back his right. And to be honest, his crossing with his right is not great either. But obviously, it's clearly his predominant foot. And I just feel like he, he's almost got the idea of what needs to happen, but he just can't do that final step because, he, like I say, the quality and the technique just isn't there. Um, and I just think that it's screaming out, especially now we play two up front, for a natural uh, left footer to be there again. It's something that I've said for, for a number of years. But Rodriguez is starting to look tired, um, I think, in it, and maybe, I was going to say his age, but he's actually not that old. But like... It, it, he's maybe not looking as secure. He, that the the mistake for for the disallowed goal came for Rodriguez with sort of a bit of a, a poor piece of defending. I, I do think potentially there is um, once we're getting full strength back. I thought Gigi when he came on uh, looked looked really good. So I think there is potential at some point for um, bringing Gigi Zima into that back three. Um, Putting Bongiorno onto the the left side of the of the back three and, and Rodriguez on the left. In, in but I mean I say, I say that ideally January transfer window is coming up. We actually look at buying a left footed left uh, fullback. That would be quite an incredible suggestion. But potentially that's also something that could be an option. That would be nice. That would be nice. I mean we're going to go. We'll talk about Udinese in a bit. But you know, with Bellanova being suspended, I'm a little worried about. Uh, our effectiveness on the wing back positions uh, this coming weekend. I just go back to my point of a, of the hundred players. I did I did pick out a few. Uh, Christian Molinaro. I mean that was my that, mate. that was that was that was quite a few appearances to endure. Um, oh, I th- I, I'm going to disagree with that. I think Molinaro was a very good servant, not just because I met him, but um, but I yeah, think... no, I, th- I think for, he was a very he was a, not a not a great Torres side at that time, but. Um, and he was coming towards the end of his career, but yeah, I'd, I'd take Molinaro every day of the week over Voivoda. Yeah, I don't think I think Molinaro was okay defensively, but I think if you look back at him in the final third, there are a lot of yeah, there's a bit of rose tinted glasses there. But Mate, another one, nearly a hundred appearances, uh, very limited. Uh, probably one before your time, Paolo Castellini, who was also left back, not all uh, predominantly. Um, his were in Serie A, but there were a few in Serie B. He was a f- quite a similar player to Voivoda. I put in Lorenzo De, De Silvestri, technically. Just picking, on, picking on my mates today, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I did. And I have put Thomas Rincon down there as well. But I think, I, I think you know, just that's just me, me by, you know, Thomas Rincon just relegated at Santos as well for the first time. So I like how you're blaming Rincon solely for that. Yeah, well, I've watched every single Santos game because, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, the the Venezuelan crab. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway, it's enough of enough of Voivode. I thought the commentators, uh, so in the UK, um, it was Simon Brotherton, 
it was actually quite weird not hearing him on, on match of the day on the Saturday. And it was Nigel Spackman. I thought they did a fairly decent job of like staying awake as much as anything. Um, but I thought they were, Spackman was very good on, on Bongiorno, the fact that he just tends to bite into much of his tackles, could is a little bit, can needs to be a little bit more patient sometimes. I thought that was, um, there are a few times they picked up on that. Um, I think, I think he's, just, he's just a very pro- proactive defender. Yeah, he? he he relishes that that contact, which is potentially what what helps in in some of his duels. Whereas, um, I think if you go comparing with with Bremer, probably the standout centre back from Juric's first season, I think Bremer would still win. Would maybe back himself. I think it would back himself on a one on one, so it doesn't have to sort of go in so so easily. I think. Bongiorno's lack of pace is probably his concern where he thinks that his best chance of sort of winning a, a one-on-one battle is getting the ball first. Um, yeah. I, I can remember in the, in the Roma game where he sort of, I think Lukaku did him for the goal and he sort of made sure that wasn't going to happen again and they, the next time they battled on the halfway line he sort of just sort of burst in front of him to, to win the initial tackle. I think Bongiorno, the improvement in Bongiorno is incredible. I think that he, but he's still not without mistakes in him. There's always you always feel like sometimes he'll pick up an unnecessary booking and um, the the lack of pace will, will always be a concern. But I, I think if he can improve even half as much in the next sort of 12 months as he has in the previous two years, then it, there were rumours of, of Chelsea being interested. I do think Torrin might have a bit of a battle to, to keep him. Yeah, I think it's, it, the problem with Torrin is when a player gets to a certain level, it's just not tenable for them to stay. And he is probably, yeah, especially if he has a good Euros next summer or um, and carries on with the rate of progress he is. Um, I don't know if there's much more to talk about Empoli. Should we talk about Robaldo? We we can. Uh, the, the, the we, thought it was never, we thought it was never going to happen, but uh, I don't even think it, it was planned, the press conference, but it, it sort of snuck up on us uh, last week, but... I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you explain a little bit about it. But I've just got to say, first thing they've got to do is change the name because it's <laughs> almost ungoogleable if you do Robaldo Torino because it's obviously so close to a certain Portuguese footballer who played in Turin. But it, it is it is quite hard to find out anything about it just because of the name. So I, I, I don't know if they'll change it to like I don't know Torino Academy or or, or something, but. Uh- they need to work on the name. I'll be honest, the first time that I saw this sort of being mentioned in the sort of I think you'd see articles on Tutsport or Gazetta where referencing Ribaldo and I thought we were sort of signing the, the hot new prospect from Brazil. But it, yeah, it is the, the name of, uh, the, I, th- I imagine it's the area which uh, a piece of land in Turin where um, the work is, has apparently been supposed to have started on a, a training complex for the academy for I would say at least a decade potentially. Um, and yeah, it's finally some sort of blueprints and some plans uh, seem to have emerged and uh, some maybe ambitious uh, ideas to to get things, at least something uh, set up there to enable for a, a friendly match of some type to take place on the 4th of May next year um, with the full sort of um, academy uh, set up the, the following season, following year. Um it seems a little strange to me. I think we, we messaged as well that I think the idea is this would be solely for the academy, so from the Primavera and below. Um, so I, I did suggest you could be in a scenario where the the academy of Torino have a better 
training setup and better sort of facilities than the first team. Um, because the first team we've got Philadelphia, but you are sort of limited in terms of space, in terms of what you can fit in that that area, which again, if everyone's been there, still in a residential area. You've got two pitches there, but I don't think that one of them's ever really used. Um, and yeah, in terms of sort of facilities for um, exercise and exercise bikes and equipment, there isn't a huge amount of um, space there. Um, but yeah, it's it's promising. We're never going to criticise uh, Cairo or the club for trying to uh, improve things on a sort of structural level. And even it sounds stupid, but I do, especially when Torrey was at Cisport and go back to obviously Joe Hart, when he turned up and he'd gone from Man City state of the art uh, training uh, sort of facility and, and goes to, to Torrey's porter cabins in, in the middle of nowhere he must have wondered what on earth he'd signed up for so um i think anything which will which attract players to the team even at, even at youth, that youth level um is a promising thing and yeah it would be good to see uh it finally come to fruition yeah i think there's a there's a few things to say i think the um it is uh primarily or solely for the youth team from under 12 through to the primavera there's going to be four pitches i think two are regulation size with um, stands, one the main will have a stand for about 500 fans. Um, so presumably for Primavera home matches and then one for about 250 fans, which will probably be used for maybe the next level down. Um, and then a couple of training pitches, some offices. You're right, it does feel like uh, the more state-of-the-art um, end of the club will be the youth system, but you know that, that's that's not a bad thing in many ways. I do like the kind of geographical part of it where you start off in in Mira Fury. So the Robaldo will be about a mile and a half, two miles, uh further outside the city from the stadium in, in the kind of in the kind of the real industrial heartland of the city where a lot of the, the Fiat workers and uh, where the houses that, that Fiat built are or were or are. Um and then the player makes a progression from there to move to the Philadelphia and then from the Philadelphia to to playing at the Stadio Grande Torino. It's right. I mean, if we've always said the club, I haven't read too much about what the club are doing with their HQ because they've got a HQ which is not fit for purpose in the centre of the city and there has been talk about a new location. Ideally, the HQ would all be at the in one place, uh, at the Philadelphia where you have the HQ, you could have a museum, you could have a bar and cafe. And this, yeah, just one thing about this project is I like the Fiorentina project where the whole everyone is is together in this Viola Park first team, uh, youth teams, HQ, everything. It feels like Torino's. Um, it's not necessarily criticism; it might be the, the reality of the kind of the real estate as well. But um, it would be good to get some communication about the um, about the first team and 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 that side of things as well. Um, I don't know at the Philadelphia if they've got even got stuff like uh, cryo chambers or or those you know that kind of things which have become the norm in terms of recovery for players as well. So it'd be interesting. And the other thing which came out because the mayor of Turin was there as well, and Torino's uh, lease at the Olimpico runs out in twenty twenty five, and there were quite big hints that there'll be a more attractive contract for Torino and also the opportunity to redevelop the Grande Torino. Um, whether that they'll turn it a bit more into a football stadium, losing losing the kind of running track and which 
will never ever be used as a running track and the kind of all 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 that kind of waste of space and maybe bring the two, the two curvers right in behind the goals. I don't know, but that, that'll be interesting. And then whether if the club owns the Grand Torino, they could actually stick the HQ in the museum there. And then, as we've always said, almost create like a walkway to the Philadelphia. That I think that would be would be the dream scenario. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. And then you also wonder well, if they're going to redevelop the Olympico. Does that mean a period of time where we wouldn't play there, where we would have to play at the Allianz Stadium or in a stadium with three sides? I don't know. I mean, that's all in the future. It does feel like... Yeah, there's there's finally some activity around the stadium, the HQ, the Primavera, and uh, which is good to see. We'll just it'll be good to know there's some joined up thinking there. That's all. I think um, I think potentially, obviously, out of those two options, if we did have to move away from the Grande Torino, or yeah, the preferred option would be just to play with the reduced capacity and just sort of work on one. Like say, if they're going to move the the curvers into in towards the pitch, you could potentially work on the Maratona during the summer and then you could still, I think, given the attendance, I had to explain to my father, a future or father-in-law to be, uh, he was watching the game with me on Saturday, why, why, where all the fans were because obviously the camera angle uh, shooting towards the uh, curve of Primavera and probably didn't bring many fans and there weren't many fans in the Primavera. It's just sort of say, oh, there are fans there. They're just all in the Maratona and I think potentially you could redevelop that side and still have the stadium open it wouldn't require too many fans maybe for a reduced capacity for the bigger games but for the majority of the games that that's not going to require too many fans to be sort of relocated yeah i mean it's an interesting one you could actually make the cordovas a lot bigger as well you, you know you, you could raise the capacity of the stadium which sounds almost like a i mean we don't fill the stadium very often outside of the bigger games but i don't think I think if you redesign the stadium in a more attractive way, you actually might bring more people back. And a lot of people, when I used to go to the Delhi Alpi, it was you know it was obviously a seventy thousand stadium, but the court of a Maratona was twice the size of the one now, and it was pretty much the second and third tiers always full. Um, whereas the Maratona in the current stadium is, is is pretty small. The Primavera is, yeah, it does get busy for some games, but it it's often filled with youth teams and school initiatives and things like that. Um, and I think, yeah, if you, if, if you made the stadium more attractive, I think more people, more people would come. There's a lot of, uh, we didn't really reflect on it in the pod we did post Turin, but we met a lot of Torino fans in, in Turin and hardly any of them came to the match we went to. Uh, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of longstanding apathy. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of TV supporters. There's a lot of issues with ultra groups not going, which is a different scenario. But I think if you, Obviously, results help, but I think if you start showing a bit more ambition, Torino should easily be getting, you know, twenty twenty five thousand plus for home games, and then, you know, if it, I think the Marassi, like the forty thousand stadium, would be the perfect size because if you hit the height of your ambitions, you get into Europe. It's a yeah. In the past, we've had sixty seventy thousand for European matches, but they don't come very often. But I think if you had a thirty five to forty thousand stadium, well designed, would be would be would be perfect. Yeah, I think and you be... could even you could even you could even read it. Yeah, it's like also where you put the away fans, and you know you could maybe give have a bigger away end. I know Empoli will bring you know ten fans, but then you could have you wouldn't have the issue when Inter come with loads of Inter fans in the Toro end or Napoli. You could actually have a a sizable away end for for teams who clubs who do bring a bigger fan base. 
I think it would be interesting to ask the the supporters who don't go to games what the prim- primary primary reason for that is. Um, whether it is this apathy at the club, like protesting against Cairo, or whether it is the the cost of the stadium, or that even if you sit, I mean, if you sit in the Maratona, you're really there for the atmosphere. But in the second and third level of the Maratona, you can't, you don't get unbelievable, you don't get a great view of the pitch. That's something which, if you use the Marassi as an example, is a lot closer to the pitch, and you get a, a decent view no matter where you're sat. Um, and yeah, it pains me to say it, but that's probably another thing with the, with the Alliance. It's a more modern stadium, which has been purpose built for football. You get more of a what I think the Italians would describe as an English feel stadium. Um, and uh, yeah, it would be interesting to say that yeah, if we it, it maybe goes hand in hand. Let's like, say showing that little bit of ambition by redeveloping the stadium, people maybe got a little bit less that they can sort of aim at Cairo and, and gives them gives them a bit more. Oh well, they've, they've spent all this money on the stadium. Might as well go and check it out. And and yeah, once once you've gone once and and start to develop that thing. And, and the thing is, season tickets in in Italy and for for Toro especially are quite cheap. So it, it's not um, a, a sort of if you do spend that money to to sort of redevelop the stadium, it's not beyond the the realm's possibility that you increase the, the number of fans who come each week as well. Yeah, um, and the, the nice thing is you're not. In the Delhi Alpi, you always had one end of the stadium, which was the designated Juventus end, and one end, the Toro end. This is, they could redesign the stadium to have two Maratonas. Yeah. And almost get out of that kind of culture of the Maratona and, and the Primavera. You have, you have two Maratonas, and maybe there's different ultra groups or different, you know, types of fan that goes in, in each one. But I think there's a, there's, a, there's yeah, it's interesting, interesting development anyway. Uh, we've got, um, well, We've got another pod recording this week, which is the quiz uh, between Rob and Mesa, which we are going to record later today. Um, so it will drop a few days after this pod. Uh, so there's no Toropedia this week because Rob is about to face quite a few, uh, a twist on Toropedia. So I'm going to give your brain a little bit of a rest until the quiz. Um, That's very, so, kind of so, very kind of And any, if anyone's missing the Toropedia, trust me, uh, when the quiz drops, you'll, the, the, there'll be, um, yeah, you'll have, an, you have enough for Christmas, put it that way. So if we talk about Udinese, um, and maybe very briefly Fiorentina, because I don't think we'll do the next pod until um, the new year. Um, we'll see, but I think that's probably, probably the plan, unless there's some... Uh, a few epic results in there, but Udinese is a rare case of a team with a pretty good record uh, in Turin. So in the 11 seasons, uh, we've been back in the top flight at home. We won seven, drawn two, lost two, um, and won five of the last six. We've won the last three at home. Is it As a Toro fan, it's just kind of uncomfortable a bit with these stats. Um, Udinese threw away 2-0 lead, Against Sassuolo, I saw the highlights of for me. There were two two joke penalties that Sassuolo got, especially the second one. The first one, slightly um, ingenuous bit of defending from Udinese player. I don't know if that's a good. I don't know if it'd been better if Udinese had won that match. Have maybe been a bit more relaxed. Um, and I think they've got better players than Empoli, um, but it should be a game we win. Um, but I guess yeah. What do you I guess what your team and prediction be, and um, and we'll also close with a little prediction for Florence. Uh, so we play Fiorentina away in the twenty ninth as well. Yeah, I think team wise, obviously Bellinelli suspended um, 
I don't think uh, Lazaro was unbelievable when coming off the bench. So I would like to see, I mean, Soppy is an ex-Udinese player, so I can see Soppy potentially getting getting the nod. Um, maybe have a little bit of extra motivation against his former team. It's what would be a very attacking move, and one which I'm sure you would like, would be um, play Jan Karamayo as a right wing back. Um, if Udinese... <laughs> If Udinese are going to sort of uh, sit back and and try and sort of maybe get a point, or given our given our impressive recent home record, you would imagine they will sort of try and try and hit us on the counter potentially, and, and um, sort of be played quite deep to to begin with. Um, try and have that extra like we, like we did in something which we we've got in common in the last two home games, especially we scored a relatively early goal. Um, so yeah, getting Caramo scored the winner in the game you went to last season as well. So maybe a bit of extra, a bit of extra confidence there. That might be a little bit too ambitious, but yeah, I think it'd just been fullbacks. I'd be looking at changing. So uh, I would maybe give that Zara another go on the left or Soppy on the left and Caramo on the right. Uh, other than that, I think the team almost names itself at the moment. Um, I would like to get Gigi back in the team at some stage, but I don't think Tim has a, um has warranted losing his place or. Uh, Lenetti losing his place in, in order for Tomezzo to go into midfield. Yeah, I'd like to see some changes. I just, I didn't, as I said, I don't think the Empoli game, uh, we, we looked a bit devoid of ideas and energy. Personally, it won't happen. I'd like to see Gigi and Zima come in to the defence. Uh, Rodriguez could potentially play left wing back, but he's not been very good for me for five or six weeks or not, not been at his level. Um, so maybe give him a rest. Tameze, I think, is one walking away from suspension, which you know, shouldn't be a reason to not play someone. But again, I think his form's dropped a little bit the last few weeks. Um, fullbacks are worried that there's just very few options. I, with Bellanova being out, I just don't think he'll shake things up and play Soppy and Lazzaro. I think it'll be Voivoda and probably Lazzaro and Soppy will get a few more minutes. Personally, I'd like to see the Vlasic Sanabria, uh, one of them come out uh, for for somebody else, and then whether Richie, yeah, whether Richie just brings a bit of craft into midfield and we take out Illich or or Linetti for a game. Um, so yes, we will we'll see. I'll, I, my predictions I predicted a nil nil versus simply, which wasn't a million miles off. It felt like a nil nil when when I finished it. Um, I will. Be more positive. I'll say three 0 win this two one, and then we will lose two one at Fiorentina on the 29th. Well, genuinely, I'm not even going to say this. My prediction was going to be two one, but I did give you a little bit of uh, banter before the pod and say that I was going to be top of the predictions league for Christmas. So that would guarantee that. So I'm not going to do that. I'll um, I'll give you a chance, um, and I will go three one Toro. 3-1 Tara, so no fourth clean sheet, but a fourth home win. Um, and I've got a, I've got a sneaky feeling that we, we might be able to, obviously we, we won in Florence last season in the league and then the important one in the cup, we managed to fluff. But um, it, it feels like a, it feels a little bit strange really, because obviously not nominally um, like Christmas games in, in Italy, but I suppose they, they really are because you've got, I know it's only, uh, six six days, so it's not it's not like it you would in England where you get two games sort of back to back, but they are sort of in quite quick succession. Fiorentina have had obviously the European games. I think they might feel that a little bit more. So I, I do back Torre to get a result, but I'll go for a one one draw. 
Okay. Well, I like I like your predictions a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Fiorentina are have underwhelmed a little bit in the league. They they actually managed to lose two 0 at home to Empoli, which having watched Empoli and that was the Empoli under possibly under Paolo Zanetti as well, which was even worse than the than the current one. So, yeah, they can be a bit funny. They're not really the sum of their parts. Um, and another reason I think maybe to change it up against Udinese is because yeah, the Fiorentina game does not come um, comes pretty soon afterwards. So, I think uh, yeah, I, would, I think. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, just to say that and the point actually about potentially resting to Meze ensures he doesn't get that extra yellow card and then maybe gives you an option of, of reinforcing the midfield with Timeze, Linetti, and then Illich or uh Illich or Richie. Um maybe dropping up Vlasic or, or putting Vlasic a little bit closer to Zapata in in that game. I think Zapata might again it's it feels like they a lot of games in quick succession, but it's, I mean they're getting six or seven days between each game. So God, God forbid how bad would be if we had European games to contend with as well. But yeah, I think um, it would be wise maybe to to sort of rotate the squad a little bit with where it's. Um, I think Juric has almost become attached to this site eleven, which he, he trusts, and uh, whether he, whether he feels brave to sort of swap more than one player at, at a time will be will remain to be seen. Yeah, you're right. He's definitely gone into a mode of almost having like 13 or 14 players. He seems to, is kind of soldiers at the moment. And and Duvan Spata will remain on the pitch unless he's having like a terrible game or he has got like one leg. Well, yeah, well, the first few games he, he was pulling him off, but he, yeah, he just seems to be, uh, yeah, he's, he seems to be on till the end. Um, anyway, we've got a quiz to go to, but we'll take this opportunity to wish our dear listeners a buon Natale. We will... Probably not be back until the new year, apart from the aforementioned quiz, which will follow in a few days. Robert is looking, I've got to say, a bit peaky ahead of this clip, ahead of this quiz. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to my role as as quiz master today. That's, uh, I'll leave it. I'll, I'll leave the exit to you, Rob. Now I'll leave no, the final yeah, words to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas to all Tower fans. Fingers crossed we uh, managed to end the well end the year with with six points, but that might. <laughs> Might be a little bit too ambitious, but yeah. Um, Merry Christmas and Fortatoro. Fortatoro.